Hey guys, sorry to interrupt normal programming, but we have yet another Patreon supporter. Thank you, Dr. Christopher Moroski. Dr. Moroski, I think you may be one of the biggest fans of the podcast. Dr. Moroski has been shouting us out all over Twitter as the running obstetrician, letting everybody know about the podcast. So thank you so much again for your patronage. If you want to shout out like Dr. Moroski did on our podcast, you can be a $10 a month patron on our Patreon, which you can find at www.patreon.com slash over coffee. If you want to be a true coffee addict like Dr. Moroski, at $20 a month, you get the shout out on the podcast as well as an exclusive Kriogs over coffee mug. Dr. Moroski, we hope to see your photo on Twitter with that mug soon. Welcome back. This is Faye. And this is Nick. And this is Creogs over, over coffee. coffee. All right, guys. So today we're going to be talking about everybody's favorite topic, syphilis. Hooray. Just in time for episode 20. So the learning objectives for today will be number one, to diagnose syphilis, learn all those tests. Number two, discuss the different stages of syphilis. And number three, talk about the treatment of syphilis during each stage. So, Faye, what the heck is syphilis? That's a good question because I feel like, you know, you may not necessarily see syphilis every single day. So, syphilis is a sexually transmitted infection caused by the bacteria Treponema pallidum. How do you get it, Nick? I feel kind of awkward having to answer the question, but certainly it's a sexually transmitted disease, um, generally through mucous membranes. Though one thing we do have to remember as well, especially in OBGYN, is that syphilis can also be vertically transmitted from mother to child. I think one of the most confusing things about syphilis, Faye, especially on those rare occasions that we do encounter in the clinic, is the diagnosis of syphilis is just so confusing. Right. Do you have any pointers or any thoughts on screening or like what pathway we follow. Yeah. So Nick, let's first talk about who do we screen. So remember to screen people who are pregnant in the first and third trimester. Also, you want to screen those who are at higher risk. So these include men who have sex with men, those living with HIV that are sexually active, or those who are otherwise considered to be at increased risk for syphilis. And for us, if you live in Rhode Island and you're sexually active, you're actually considered at increased risk for syphilis. So let's talk first about definitive testing for syphilis. So this is for early and congenital syphilis. So there are a few things that we can use. The first is dark field examination. So this is microscopy, and you can actually see syphilis on the microscope. That's disgusting. The second thing you can do is you can run a PCR to directly detect the bacteria Treponema pallidum from a lesion, exudate, or tissue. And remember, these are diagnostic tests meaning that if you see syphilis on dark field examination or you do a PCR to actually detect the bacteria, then that patient definitely has syphilis. However, these tests are not always available and they can take a long time and require specific equipment. So unfortunately, we have to resort to other types of testing. Nick, do you know what these are? Yeah, so these are the things that we're encountering more commonly, especially when we talk about pregnancy screening using serologic tests, do a screening and then a confirmation of the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. 
A presumptive diagnosis of syphilis usually requires the use of two serologic tests. The first would be something called a non-treponemal test. So these are things such as the VDRL test or the Venereal Disease Research Laboratory test or the RPR, the Rapid Plasma Reagent. Both of these are tests that detect antibodies that the host cell makes in response to lipoidal material released from damaged host cells early in the infection and to lipids from the cell surfaces of the treponema itself. These tests have decreased sensitivity in early primary syphilis and during late syphilis. Additionally, false positive reactions can occur for a large number of other reasons, the most common of which include other infections. And finally, Non-treponemal tests, such as the RPR, can actually be used to monitor treatment success. Mm. So again, these various serologic tests kind of have differing applications and differing sensitivities, depending exactly on when you're using it or why you're using it. Faye, what are the second group of tests that we think about? Yeah, so you mentioned the non-treponemal tests. So the second group of tests are the treponemal tests. These include things like the FTA antibody screen, the TPPA assay, various um, ELISA immunoassays, chemiluminescence immunoassays, immunoblots, rapid treponemal assays, all of these things. I'm going to talk about two of them because these two are the ones that I think we will most commonly encounter. The first is the FTA-ABS, or the fluorescent treponemal antibody absorption. This usually becomes reactive four to six weeks after infection, and this actually detects anti-treponemal pallidum antibodies. The second one is the TPPA assay, or the treponemum pallidum particle agglutination assay. And this actually detects actual antibodies against treponemum pallidum made by your body. So if you have a reactive non-treponemal test, then you would need to get a treponemal test to confirm the presumptive diagnosis of syphilis. So remember, if you think that someone has syphilis, it's usually a reportable disease to the Department of Health, depending on your state, and they may have to tell the patient's partners. Right. So I think that covers testing. Let's move on to treatment of syphilis, because mm-hmm. um, this is also something that can be really confusing, or even just knowing the stages of syphilis, I think, is really confusing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Nick, why don't you lead us through some of these stages? <laughs> Certainly. Primary syphilis, I think, is one that's we're all fairly familiar with. This is the one that I think is the classic test question of you see a patient who has a one or more painless shankers, usually at the site of exposure. And these generally occur somewhere around three weeks after the infection. The problem, again, is that these are painless and that these can heal on their own even without treatment. Additionally, this is the time period where patients are very, very infectious. So if you do have dark field microscopy or something else available, looking at a shanker is when you're actually going to see those treponemes on the microscope. Right. If you're lucky enough to diagnose somebody with primary syphilis because you're catching it early, the treatment is fortunately pretty simple. A single dose of benzathine penicillin G, 2.4 million units intramuscularly. Okay, let's move on to secondary syphilis. Secondary syphilis. This usually presents as mucocutaneous lesions like rashes. And remember that syphilis is one of the three diseases that has a rash on the palms and soles and usually on the trunk and other areas of the body. And the other two, which are, you know, not necessarily related to OBGYN, are Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever and Coxsackie, or hand, foot, and mouth disease. So these mucocutaneous lesions usually fade about six weeks after infection, and this can last, you know, between three months to six months after infection. 
You can also have condyloma lata on the genital area, mucus patches on the tongue, lymphadenopathy, and constitutional symptoms. And you can also have alopecia. During secondary syphilis, the patient is also infectious. And luckily, treatment is still the same as primary syphilis, a single dose of penicillin G, 2.4 million units intramuscularly. What about latent syphilis? And latent syphilis now is where you have reactive serologic testing, but the patient has no symptoms. So you're not seeing these things like rashes or chancres or anything else. The patients during this stage are potentially infectious, but the longer they are latent, the less likely they are to be. Latent syphilis gets broken into two categories, early latent and late latent syphilis. Now, this really depends on knowing the timing of exposure. And so this is really challenging for obstetrician gynecologists as well as infectious disease doctors in terms of nailing down a timeline because the treatment differs. So for mm -hmm. early latent treatment of syphilis, meaning from time of exposure to time of diagnosis is under one year, the treatment is still a single dose of benzathine penicillin G, 2.4 million units IM. Mm -hmm. Late latent treatment, which is a time period defined as greater than one year from the exposure, or if the exposure is of unknown duration, the treatment increases from just a single dose of benzathine penicillin to three doses of benzathine penicillin given at one-week intervals. If you're unsure of the timing of exposure with latent syphilis, it's best to treat it as late latent syphilis. Hey, the last one that I don't think I've ever seen before, um, something you only read about, is tertiary syphilis. Tertiary syphilis can occur anywhere between 3 to even 15 years after initial infection. So we'll go through all the systems that it can affect. So first, you can have skin and bone manifestations. And this is probably what you've heard about, which are the gummas, these soft tumor-like mm -hmm. balls that can occur all over the body. Tertiary syphilis can also affect the cardiovascular system. It can cause syphilitic aortitis, which can lead to aortic aneurysms. And this is really late after initial infection, so like 10 to 30 years afterwards. And you can also get things like neurosyphilis, and this can also be seen early on. And this will lead to syphilitic meningitis, or later on, general paresis, tabby's dorsalis, which is poor balance and lightning pains in lower extremities. And the last two that I mentioned usually come a little bit later, so maybe 4 to 25 years after infection. And if you are thinking that someone has neurosyphilis, you really need to get an LP to diagnose them. And the last thing I wanted to mention is something called ocular syphilis, which can really occur at any stage. And this can manifest in multiple different ways, things like vision loss, blurry vision, flashes, scotomas, eye pain, eye redness. If you suspect that somebody has ocular syphilis, they should get a neuro exam because they could also have neurosyphilis at the same time. They need to see an ophthalmologist immediately and you need to give them LP. And the treatment for tertiary syphilis, if the patient does not have neurosyphilis, is again three doses of penicillin GIM once a week. However, if they have neuro or ophthosyphilis, they're going to actually need aqueous crystalline penicillin G. 18 to 24 million units per day administered as 3 to 4 million units IV every 4 hours or continuous infusion for 10 to 14 days. So these are people that need to stay in the hospital. That is one heck of a treatment schedule. It really is. Any other considerations that we need for people who have syphilis? Yeah, so thinking about CREOGs and tested questions more generally, I think there's a lot of like good little factoids about syphilis and syphilis treatment. 
Um, one that I feel like I see commonly is something called the Jarish-Hersheimer reaction, if I'm pronouncing that right, I hope. The Jarish-Hersheimer reaction is a febrile reaction with headaches, myalgia, fevers, other symptoms that can occur in the first 24 hours after starting therapy for syphilis. Some people even think that this is like a severe penicillin allergy mm. and are tempted to discontinue treatment, but right. you really shouldn't. Even though this is somewhat a violent and kind of disturbing reaction, it's just something that's a reaction to treponemal lysis in the body, and treatment should continue with these patients just the same. Hey, what about pregnant patients with syphilis? Yeah, so for pregnant patients, honestly, you just treat them as if they're not pregnant. Unless they're allergic to penicillin, then they actually need to be desensitized and treated with penicillin. So these are the people that need to stay in the hospital and you actually can't use any other drugs. And the reason that you do have to treat people who are pregnant very seriously that is that they can actually pass the syphilis vertically to their babies. Congenital syphilis can manifest in multiple different ways. These things include like saddle nose, hard palate defects, sabershins, short maxillae, protruding mandible, lower extremity abnormalities, rash, fever, enlarged liver and spleen, anemia, jaundice. And if this continues into childhood and remains untreated, the baby can later go on to develop Hutchinson's teeth, which are these blunted upper incisors. They can develop keratitis in the eyes and deafness. And those three together, the teeth, the keratitis, and deafness is known as Hutchinson's triad, which is something while we may not necessarily see as OBGYNs, you may be tested on on the CREOGs. And then also, what if the patient is still pregnant and they haven't received treatment? The thing that can affect them while they're actually pregnant is that it can cause premature birth, stillbirth, or death in the newborns. All right, Nick, so I think that brings us to the end of our syphilis talk. Why don't we sum it up? All right, we started off by saying syphilis is a sexually transmitted infection that's sent either through mucous membranes or vertically from mother to child. We talked about who to screen for syphilis, so remember pregnant patients in the first and third trimester, as well as those that are at higher risk. And we also talked about definitive testing for syphilis, like dark field microscopy and PCR to detect the actual treponemum pallidum bacterium. We then went through the serologic tests for syphilis. Again, you start with a non-treponemal test traditionally, either the VDRL or RPR most commonly. And then if those are positive, you follow that up with a treponemal test, usually either the FTA antibodies or the TPPA assay or a number of other rapid assays to get a confirmation. Always report syphilis to your local health department as it's generally considered a reportable disease. And finally, we talked about the different stages of syphilis and treatment. So we talked about primary syphilis, which usually manifests as a painless chancre with a treatment of a single dose of IM penicillin. Secondary syphilis that usually manifests as these mucocutaneous lesions like rashes, one of those that happens on the palms of the hands and soles of the feet, as well as condylomalata in the genital area, mucus patches on the tongue, um, and some constitutional symptoms. This also is treated with a single dose of penicillin. We then talked about latent syphilis, which is where the patient has reactive serologic testing but no longer has symptoms, and that's divided into early latent and late latent. And those are treated differently. Early latent is treated, again, with a single dose of IM penicillin, whereas late latent syphilis is treated with three doses of weekly penicillin IM. And lastly, we talked about tertiary syphilis, and again, the multiple manifestations of tertiary syphilis that can include skin and bone manifestations, the gummas, 
cardiovascular manifestations such as aortitis or aneurysm, ocular syphilis, and neurosyphilis. Again, if you're considering neurosyphilis, you need to get an lumbar puncture, and the treatment for neurosyphilis increases to aqueous crystalline penicillin G, administered at 3 to 4 million units IV every 4 hours or continuous infusion for 10 to 14 days. And finally, some other treatment considerations that you may have for the Creongs. Remember the Jarish-Herxheimer reaction, which is a febrile reaction with headaches and myalgias um, and other symptoms in the first 24 hours after starting therapy for syphilis due to the lysis of the treponema pallidum bacteria. Pregnant patients get treated the same, and if they're allergic to penicillin, you should desensitize those patients and continue to treat them to try and avoid all of the effects of vertical transmission, including congenital syphilis, defined as saddle nose, hard palate defects, saber shins, etc. And finally, what we didn't discuss in this podcast is how to treat patients who are allergic to penicillin, but if they are not pregnant. There are multiple ways to treat them, and we will be posting this on our website, and you can also look at the CDC guidelines. So once again, I'm Nick. I'm Faye. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. So if you enjoyed the podcast today, please give us a look on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a rating and review. You can also find us on social media on Twitter at CreogsOverCoff1, on Facebook at CreogsOverCoffee, and our website www.CreogsOverCoffee.com. Don't forget, if you're a super fan and you want some cool Creogs Over Coffee swag or a shout out on the podcast, check out our Patreon at Patreon.com slash CreogsOverCoffee. And of course, if you have any suggestions for us or any topics that you'd like to hear from us, you can email us at creogsovercoffee at gmail.com. And remember, ocular syphilis, gross. Gross.